You're listening to the podcast of Real Life Church. We love, we live, we relate. So we carry on with the, the message. There you go, my babe. I've present for you. Um, I'm going to carry on with my message this morning, a uh, fighting the good fight. And my subtype this morning is simple godliness. And it's quite amazing how even like last night and this morning, I'm trying to tie it in with what's happening around the world and what I'm encouraging us to, to do. And sometimes when I pray, the, when I prepare, the skeleton is, is easy. And then adding the sinews and the meat and the bones onto it becomes the difficult part. And sometimes the, 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 you know, the skeleton is difficult. It's, Lord, what on earth am I going to do for dinner tonight? And once you've made the decision, then deciding is, is easy. And, and sometimes I, I share on a Sunday morning, I go, oh, my goodness. Oh, Lord, help those poor people. And that's, when I think I've done really badly and it's, I've walked through treacle and it's been difficult and everything like that, I'm going, oh, you know, just you know, beat me up, Jesus, you know. And then I generally get the feedback, wow, that was just really good. You know, I felt a connection with that. I'm going, oh, that it must have been God because I really felt no life on, on this. And how, and so it, it really is this like, you know, Lord, I, I honestly want your, your life on what I share. I want you to, to come. And there's some passages of Scripture that are just challenging to, to unpack. Sometimes I, I, I go through a Scripture, and especially when you're doing a series and, you say, and you've committed to say, I'm going to talk out of Timothy. Now I just want to like, you know, move on to something exciting. You know? And you, you talk about things, oh, Lord, how do I find life in this? How do I find um, substance? And how do I dig down into the well of this passage of Scripture and find something that's life-giving in it? When you, you're digging for oil, and you, oh Lord, just let this make sense, because I don't feel what it is that I'm, I, I'm trying to unpack. And so that's been a little bit about this week, when you're talking about masters and slaves and widows and dying and all these you know, different things. And so it's not a cop-out, but instead of just taking a, a, a part of Scripture, I'm going to take 1 Timothy 4, 5, and 6 this morning. But I'm doing that not as a cop-out because I don't want to take six or seven verses and, and dive deep into that. But I wanted to try and tie something from Timothy 4, 5, and, and 6 together and, and, and tie them together and bring some life into them. And one of the themes that Paul is saying to Timothy is, Timothy, I want you to pursue godliness in your life. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, I want you to train for godliness in your life. And if you... And if you read the, 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 the narrative and, 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 and the way that it's been demonstrated, is Paul said to Timothy, Timothy, I want you to pursue and I want you to train for godliness like an athlete trains for a race or as a soldier trains for the battlefield. Paul uses words like flee from evil, shun evil, new man of God, turn from evil, pursue righteousness. Grasp hold of it. Train for godliness. So the language that Paul uses when he's describing this to Timothy, it's active language. It's not, it's, it's, it's fierce language. I want you to train. I want you to pursue. I want you to fight. I want you to contend for. I want you to run away from. I want you to do something. It's passive. Sorry, it's active language. It's not a passive position. 
The language is very clear. So friends, the whole idea of godliness, at least to me, godliness is a, a word in Scripture. And sometimes you have this word in Scripture that when you read it, you default into what you think it means. We, 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 become so, we, we become so used to some words and some narratives that we read a passive scripture and we just gloss over it because something in our minds, in our thinking goes, I know what it is, so I just move on. You know, it's like when you're watching a series and they just ad nauseum go through the recaps. And you go, I've had that. I understand that. Just move on to the next thing. And so sometimes you read scripture in the same way and we don't dive into what it really means. We take an easy route out instead of going, I'm wanting to dive down and understand what this means rather than assume that I know what everything means because that's just the way that I've been, been taught it. When we think that Paul is talking to Timothy about training for godliness in his own life, teaching godliness to the church of Ephesus, we have this assumption that godliness means, or we assume that godliness means to be like God. How many of us think that? Rich, you can commit. So, so, so when, when Paul says to Timothy, I want you to pursue godliness, we all go, godliness is to be like God. And as believers, it's a high aspiration of ours. Every follower of Jesus wants to be like God. So every follower of Jesus wants to pursue godliness. So we assume that godliness is to become more and more like God. It becomes this hard, holy expectation to be more godlike. It's something I need to attain in my life. Let me be more godlike. Godlike. Let me, let me train hard for godliness. Let me pursue godliness. Let me fight. Let me train. Let me do whatever I can to be more godlike in every area of my life. I think we generally agree with that. It's almost a churchy word. It's a very churchy word. It's used a lot in church. If only they were more godly. If only they were more godlike. You know, I, I wish they had godly attitude. Now, if more people had godly attitude, we would have less gray hairs as pastors. Not, not so. We talk about godly behavior, godly attitude. They are just not godly people. But the reality is it's a very overused word, especially in church context. And so I want to unpack some of this this morning. 1 Timothy 4, verse 7. Have nothing to do with profane myths or old wives' tales. But train yourself for godliness. So have nothing to do with profane myths and old wives' tales. Have nothing to do with what's not right or fake or whatever. Rather, train yourself for godliness. So obviously godliness is different or contrary or opposite to that. For while tra physical training is of some value, godliness is valuable in every way, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance. 
What's worthy of full acceptance? What's worthy of full acceptance is that we train for godliness because it's good in this life and the life to come. We train for godliness because it's good for every aspect of our lives. And we train for godliness because it removes us from myth and profanity and old wives' tales and rumors and gossip and all those, those things. Friends, I want you to carry on this morning and say that this. Godliness is not your identity. Godliness is your character. Because if godliness was my identity, I would not have to train for it. I would not have to pursue it. I would not have to fight for it. I would not have to work hard for it. I don't have to work hard to be Stu. I am me. And so we sometimes think that because I am a believer, I have godliness. Now, I'm going to get that in a minute. And therefore, we don't pursue it. We don't work at it. We don't try hard. We don't attain it. So godliness is not your identity. Godliness is your character. And that's why we have this image when Paul is talking to Timothy about having to train for godliness. Because this godliness, while it's something that he is supposed to attain to, or aspire to, or cultivate in our life, we have to work at it. We have to train for it. It's a repetitive nature in training and warfare that we do time and time, and we go on and on, and we grow and we mature in it. So to become more godly is something we have to continually, repetitively redo, train, try again. Friends, we actually have to work at godliness. If you're going to train for it, you have to discipline yourself. It's like going to a gym. I can see my mates who are more disciplined at gym and healthy living than those that aren't. If we want a healthy body, we train. If we want a godly character, we train. In other books, Paul talks about suffering for it. We don't think we have to suffer for godliness because it's just there. But we've got to train and suffer and pursue and work hard at godliness. And I think, well, if I'm really honest, attaining to godliness isn't something I always want to aspire to. If it's hard work and sacrificial. It can feel like sometimes, like, if I'm aspiring to something that I'm supposed to reach It's always just that little bit too far for me. I try hard, but I don't quite get it. I often feel like I fall short of the godliness that I'm aspiring to, training for, contending for, learning for. And how do we do it? How do we become, how do we train, how do we aspire to cultivate godliness in our lives? Friends, godliness is such a churchy word and used so often 
that we give it and elevate it to a status that I don't think we necessarily should. Because we end up working so hard for something. Godliness is used only 15 times in the New Testament. So it is there, but it's not there a lot. There are far more areas and things in the New Testament than godliness. The Greek word for godliness comes from Eusebia, and it's actually not a Christian word. Godliness is very much a religious word. There is nothing Christian about this word. It's a religious term. It's found in a whole lot of religious manuscripts. And the word godliness refers to piety and reverence and loyalty as expressed in an outward action to prove yourself to your parents or to deity. Godliness was used as an outward word to express your loyalty to the gods. And it was so much in vogue in this day. Godliness has this idea of an outward working, of trying to do a behavioral thing to please the gods. Godliness was an outward expression regardless of what is happening inwardly. They would, in this culture at Ephesus, people would try and be godly to make the gods happy. So when Paul is writing to Timothy about godliness, it's not a foreign word for them. Godliness and the concept of godliness wasn't foreign to, to Timothy. It wasn't foreign to the people of Ephesus. It was a culturally relevant word. Because their whole lives, everything they did was wrapped up in godliness. The concept of godliness was something that they did Every single solitary day. And Ephesus, one of the most prominent um, deities, and I've said this before, was the, the goddess Artemis. And so she ruled, this goddess of Artemis ruled over all things. She was a goddess of production, of crop production and human reproduction. So the goddess of of the era, Artemis. She was the person, she was the goddess who allowed your crops to thrive or your family to grow. She was the goddess of worship. She was a goddess of prosperity. She was a goddess of sex. She was a goddess of, of almost everything around. And so what happened in the, in, in the belief system in Ephesus, which was then coming into the New Testament early church, was that your livelihood depended on your ability to make the goddess happy. If you had godliness and you appeased the goddess, then she would give you children. If you worked hard enough to appease the goddess, you would have profitability in your business. If you, if you worked hard enough at godliness and you made the gods happy, especially her, happy, your community would thrive, and you would do and have the most amazing things. So in this culture, living a life of godliness was not a foreign concept. It was just a very negative, ungodly 
practice of trying hard to attain enough to please God. And if you could not do it, you would be punished and you would not have. And so everything was, how do I win the favor of the gods? By trying to be like God. By trying to be godly. It was totally an outward expression of works to be acceptable and to appease the gods. So the practice of godliness wasn't a foreign concept. So when Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, my boy, I want you to train for godliness, and I'm wanting you to practice godliness in the context of what they're doing in Ephesus, what he, the language he was saying was acceptable and normal. But he said, but Timothy, we need to do something different. Because we no longer have to make the gods happy. We no longer have to do something to earn the favor of the gods. Pursuing godliness now is something totally, totally different. And Timothy, I want you to model this. Why? Because I want you to model this, Timothy, because I need you to teach a new way of godliness. I want you to, to be a leader. And one of the number one rules in leadership is I want you, to, and in discipleship, I want you to do what I do. So Paul's encouragement to Timothy is, Timothy, I want you to set an example that leading a life of godliness is not about works and performance to appease the gods. Timothy, I want you to learn and model and teach and instruct and redirect the expressions of godliness. Because practicing godliness was so normal and so counter contrary to the kingdom of God that the early church would brush it aside. They would brush godliness aside because the connotations and the expectations and the outworkings of it were so wrong. They perverted the way of living and godliness because it was so connected to their livelihood. Not only to their livelihood and their earthly things. Godliness had no connection to worship. Godliness had no connection to fellowship. Godliness wasn't entwined with a family value. Godliness was rooted in fear. If I don't sacrifice to Artemis enough, I will be punished. If I don't gain her favor, I would be punished. So the natural view of godliness was rooted in fear, not in faith. And so there was so much negativity and fear associated with godliness. If I don't do well, it won't go well. If I don't do it often enough, if I'm not faithful enough, if, I'm if I don't hit the mark, 
I'll be punished. If I depart from it, if I depart from the cultural ways, I'll be punished. So Paul's instructing Timothy in an environment where pursuing godliness was done out of fear, that if you didn't do it right, you would be punished, you would be worse off. Your community would be worse off. And so Paul's saying to Timothy, Timothy, in this environment, we've got to change the character and the attitude and the belief system of all those around us. Because friends, if somebody in your community, if someone in their community started coming to faith and then didn't pursue making the gods happy, the consensus was our community would be punished. So our community would be punished because you came to faith. Our community would be punished because you no longer appeasing the gods. Something would go wrong in our household because you are not appeasing Artemis. So what you did and your relationship and your attitude towards godliness impacted not just yourself and your household, but your community too. So there was a communal value towards godliness and appeasing the gods. So my life and my choices, my success impacted and had an effect on yours. So friends, in the context where Paul's speaking to Timothy about, about godliness, he's not teaching them new concepts, but he's saying, I'm wanting you to redirect the way that you do things. I'm wanting you to set a different example. Friends, we no longer pursue God out of fear. We don't pursue being godlike because we'll be punished if we don't hit the mark. Because you won't have if we don't hit the mark. We need to redirect and remodel how we do things. And then Paul gives Timothy specific instructions. Timothy, I want you to teach and instruct. And he starts off by saying, Timothy, I want to reassure you. I want to encourage you. Because this is worth getting right. Friends, I would suggest that most of us come under some form of hardship, battle, confrontation, etc. Where doing the other thing would just be so much easier. But pursuing a life of godliness does take hard work. It does take sacrifice. And so I'm wanting to, as Paul said to Timothy, I want Stu to say to this family, friends, family, won't you pursue godliness? Won't you pursue a correct type of godliness? We're not doing it to earn favor. We're not doing it to make right. We're not doing it out of a sense of fear that I won't meet the mark. But I'm wanting to encourage you, as Paul encouraged Timothy, to pursue godliness for the right reasons and the right way. These are trustworthy sayings, Paul says. Timothy, do this for yourself so that you can lead. I want to instruct you, because if you do this, it will go well with you. And the folk in this context would go, how on earth can it go well with me if my entire upbringing, all my family, everything has 
told me that the only way it will go well with me is if I strive to make the gods happy. And now we are going through and say, actually, no, forget that. It's about a character. It's about love. It's about family. It's about acceptance. There's a whole new way of doing this. At the end of 1 Timothy 4 and verse 11, it says, teach these things and insist that everyone learn them. And then Paul goes on to encourage Timothy in chapter 5. And Paul gives Timothy specific instructions on how to equip others. And he says, amongst others, never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectively as you would speak to your own father. Talk to younger men as you would to your brothers. Treat older women as you would your mothers and teach younger women and treat younger women with purity as you would your own sisters. And Paul does this to give Timothy advice. He says, Timothy, be an example to all believers in what you say and how you live your life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Paul says, in order to live a life of godliness, it's no longer about appeasing and making the gods happy. It's about treating people with respect. He says, I'm wanting to show you that godliness takes place in a family. He says, I'm wanting to instruct you, Timothy, to tell the people, to tell the family, that the way that you get godliness is that you treat older men with respect. You teach young, older women with respect. You teach brothers, younger men as they would brothers. And you teach younger women with purity and love. He's saying, Timothy, I want you to know that pursuing godliness takes place in a family. And there is a huge relational family part to pursuing and learning and becoming godly. It's not what happens out there to them is what happens in here to us. Pursuing family isn't making the gods happy. It's making one another holy. In chapter 5, verse 1, never speak harshly to older men, but appeal to them. So I think I've said that. And then he goes on to talk about widows. And the gists of Paul's instruction to widows, is I wanting you to teach what a widow is. Because when women became widows, and we just think nowadays that we just need to go and look after all the widows, but again, we need to come back to context. Because Paul is saying, Timothy, I want, I want you to treat the widows well. I want you to look after the widows. Why? Because the widows were the responsibility of the family. And these widows now had nothing. They didn't have any men who could go and appease the gods. So because they weren't, didn't have anyone to go and appease the gods, their status was in limbo. Nobody looked after the widows, and the widows had no ability to appease the gods. And so Timothy, Paul, Paul saying to Timothy, Timothy, I want you to look after widows. And in looking after widows, the widows gave service back to the community. Again, it was family. And then the church would decide 
the, 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 the elders in the church would decide when it was right for these widows to go and remarry so that they could have the ability to, to be included back into the family. And so Paul's instruction to Timothy wasn't church, just use your money to go and, and appease the widows. It was, I want you to look after the widows so that widows can find their identity in a family context. They can find their godliness and in an acceptance that happens in a family, not because they have to rush off and somehow atone to the gods because the gods have punished them and put them into a position that they are in. And so we read over a scripture and we think, well, that is it. But the whole context is within the nature and the framework of family. We look after one another. Sorry, I've lost my place. And so we have these book-ending thoughts where Paul is instructing the ways to practice godliness. The whole context of godliness is wrapped up in the language of family. Paul says, when you have to confront an older man, do so as a father. When you interact with an older woman, do so as a mother. Timothy, your relationships with younger people, do so as brothers and sisters, and do this with purity. Friends, we can think that this is obvious, but for them, it was earth-shattering. It was a totally different way of thinking, because nothing in their spiritual framework took place in grace and in family and in honor. This was so revolutionary to them. It's normative language for us because of where we live and the times we live in, where we understand family. We speak of my brother and my sister. We become so flippant and blase about it. This is my brother John. This is my brother Richard. This is my, this is my sister. But for them, it was so, so different. It stood in total contrast to the way that relationships took place. Friends, in the church of Ephesus, you had Jews and Gentiles who for generations upon generations opposed each other. They didn't just irritate one another. They hated one another. And so you had the local church coming together, and in the local church, Everything was being thrown upside down and made a mess of. The way we thought, the way we pursued godliness, the way we related to one another, the way we spoke to one another, the way we honored widows, and now we had the Jews and Gentiles coming into local church who had a history of despising one another. Friends, with all due respect, it would almost be like having a Palestinian person and a Jewish person in the Middle East, and say to them, won't you come together for a meal in my home? They despised each other. We don't even begin to understand how much they disliked one another. The Jews thought they were so superior that they would call the Gentiles dogs. And now we have this collision of Jewish and Gentile culture coming together, and in this world, Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, this is how you speak to one another with love and as family. I'm wanting you to practice holiness. 
to practice holiness with a form of reverence and love and loyalty to honor one another and not make the goddesses happy. Holiness now takes place inside family. Do this, Timothy, and instruct the church to do this too. So that Jews and Gentiles would relate to each other as mothers and fathers raising brothers and sisters. Friends, our terminology, the way that we think of these things today, becomes so okay. But imagine being told and instructed that this new form of godliness is not to make the goddesses happy, but it's to invite somebody that you loathe and dislike immensely into your home and provide a meal for them and not hide your jewelry and silver because you're scared they're going to nick it. It's to be able to go to someone that in the past you've despised and not liked and not trusted and not valued and not respected and speak to them with honor and love and acceptance as a father or as a son or as a brother. This is how we attain godliness. It happens in relationships, and it happens inside family, not outside there. And Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, it starts with you. Friends, I want him to challenge you this morning and say, godliness starts with you. We had these slaves and masters. Both the Jews and Gentiles had slaves and masters. It was, it was prevalent in the culture. And Paul is writing to Timothy and saying, when you have slaves and masters who are now coming to church together, who are now coming to a meal together, who are now coming to worship together, who are now coming to your bride together, these slaves and masters are now coming to share a meal together on equal ground. Talk about it awkward. We think it's awkward in our culture. We don't even understand how awkward it was there. They had no concept on how to relate equally and share a meal together. But as all these people are being saved into the kingdom of God and encountering the gospel of Jesus, they are being confronted with cultural and societal norms that we hardly understand. And so, friends, it's fundamental to the kingdom of God and for the people of God that we relate to one another as fathers and mothers, and as sons and daughters. That's how we train for godliness. That's how we overcome our hurts. 
That's how we overcome our frustrations. That's how we overcome our dislikes. That's how we overcome offenses. We shouldn't need counseling and a sozo and everything to overcome our offenses as believers. Because we're training for godliness on a weekly, daily basis to get fit and healthy so that we can speak to one another with respect. We, had no, we have no idea what it was like to be that sacrificial in the early church. We can be flippant with songs that we sing about I want to be more like Jesus and think it's tough. But in the early church, it was ridiculously tough. To become Christ-like in Ephesus versus to become Christ-like here. So Paul says to Timothy, Tell the slaves that just because you sit at a table and share a meal with your master, it doesn't mean you don't respect him and the work that you do Monday to Friday. Friends, one of my, the, the, the thing that, I think one of the greatest fallouts in my family, in my personal family, is where my family said, well, you're a Christian, you should act better. You should be more generous. You should do this. You should be that. I just want everything that is not of God in me manifests. It does. I have, I have situations where I, I have, yeah, they've never come to my house ever again. Because we kind of think that because we're a believer, even in work or something, we can work with less honor. They have to love us. They can't fire us. They have to do something. But, but it's not. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, I want you to tell the slaves and masters that you can have a meal together, but Monday to Friday, you still honor. Why? Because you should honor even more. Because the blessing that comes to your master, that overflows to you, is because he is a believer. So don't minimize and disregard your masters, people of faith. Abuse them. You should treat them with more respect. Because that favor carries over and flows into you. And again, this is so counterculture about what happens in Ephesus. And I must wrap up. Pursuing godliness. Often in Scripture we read words or phrases and we gloss over them without understanding the context of what it is. And I'm wanting to encourage us more and more to understand the context. So often when we read the words about godliness in Scripture, it's a negative connotation. And we need to bring it into a right connotation. I think there's so much that happens in our environments that are a negative connotation, where we just use a Scripture as a Band-Aid over something, 
And God is saying, I want you to not just be flippant about it, but to flip it on its head and bring it right. My personal view is relationships are the most fundamental thing in the kingdom of God. Because the Trinity is relationships. Before any of us, before the mountains formed, before the seas were fashioned, there was relationship. Demonstrated. Godliness is found in family and in relationships. You cannot, I believe, train for godliness outside of a kingdom family because you are going to the wrong side of godliness. Where godliness is a works thing. I'm just going to pursue something. I'm going to make someone happy. As you go through one, as you finish with one Timothy, we go into two Timothy. We'll, we'll go into more of it. But friends, the beauty that we have is we don't have to get it right. We don't have to strive for it. We don't have to force it. We are just conscious that we train for it, and we do it better and better week by week. We don't go to gym and come out with a six-pack. We go to surgery and come, up with, uh, come out with a six-pack and a whole lot of complications because we're not doing things the right way. It, it has to happen bit by bit. It doesn't happen overnight. But bit by bit, we grow and we get to it. So my encouragement to us is even in this week, Look at your godliness. How are you doing? How are you training? How are you preparing? How are you speaking to one another? How's your character? How's your values? Have you pressed pause or are you pursuing? Are you overcoming or have you give it up. Father, I thank you that we get to live a life of glory and a life of godliness. That we are not forcing works and performing for a fake set of deity. Be that for money and manner. Be it for houses or homes. Be it for peoples or promotions but we pursue godliness for ourselves so that we can be better people. I choose godliness for me. And may the overflow of my godliness make my friendships, my work, my environment better, healthier, more kingdom, in your glorious name. Amen. Thank you for listening. 